0: evolution.org hardcore podcast coming away. Episode 155. Marcus Rule is who we're doing today, straight from Germany. Steve Smee here and the mobster joining me from across the pond. What's up, buddy? How you doing?
1: All good. Uh this is this fellow was a triple XL for sure.
0: A freak among freaks. He is a big guy, guy So at his peak, Marcus Rule, five foot ten, three hundred and fifteen plus pounds. It's a big boy. German-born, former professional bodybuilder, known for his enormous shoulders and his bigger-than-life physique. And his his competition weight was still a massive 275 pounds. That, to him, is cutting down, 275 pounds. Oh, for sure. So early life and career, before I bring in Mobster, a little bit about him. He was born in 1972 in Darmstadt, Germany. Apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. Very gifted soccer player as a team. 18 years old, he had a severe leg injury. Now, in those countries, for our American listeners, most of you guys are probably Americans, like, like me, but in those countries in Europe, soccer, what you guys call it over there, mobster, football yeah. is we the number football, one yeah. sport. And, and um, so everyone, I guess grows up playing soccer you probably played it too right mobster
1: a little bit of school uh, and obviously when when we're kids
0: kicking the ball around yeah so i mean for him to have an injury and they that's what they dream of they dream of one day being soccer players not bodybuilders so in his situation he did physical therapy to get his knee back so he could get back on the soccer field But then he realized, oh, my gosh, I'm a much better bodybuilder than I am a soccer player. So then he switched over and did weight training full time. How many times have we heard of that? How many times have we heard of fate taking a person to do something they weren't supposed to do or they didn't want to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's very common quad and hamstring injuries of football because you're, you're running kind of even in American football. You're running at 100 miles an hour and then you turn. That, that your knee gets twisted. How many times have we heard of ACL injuries? Uh, and, and as you say, physical physical therapy it essentially is weight training. It's going to be some kind of leg extension and leg curl. Lo and behold, as we know from a number of bodybuilders, they 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 do physical therapy. They start doing leg extensions and leg presses. They start doing light squats and lunges. And the next thing you know, they're freaky bodybuilders or fantastic weightlifters and strongmen. It's so such such a common story in strong men I know guys that were playing rugby and whatever else so you're running and you're heavy and all this kind of stuff so yeah a very common story in your country of course Steve and for most of our listeners American football uh uh, hockey and for the Canadians and so on a lot of knee injuries because you're sprinting and turning sprinting and turning and yeah massive we've got a, a Fred live on the forum right now for a fellow with ACL injuries back to you
0: Yeah, and so what's cool about this situation, he went from being a skinny soccer player to being a huge bodybuilder. And he gained over 100 pounds of mass. 1999, he got his pro card. And over the next 10 years, he worked his way up into being a a very serious pro bodybuilder. Obviously, when you have that kind of size, you're going to be a top-level bodybuilder. So competitions during the 2000s, that was when he started... Getting, you know, he got, you know, became a professional. Seventh at the Grand Prix in England. Fourth at the Night of Champions. Seventh place at Joe Weider's, uh, Pro World Joe Weider. The next year, he won a Toronto Pro, finished in the top seven at several other competitions, including Mr. Olympia. And he won the Night of Champions in 2002. So very serious, top-level bodybuilder, guys. Mr. Olympia finishes very impressive during the 2000s. Seventh in 2000. 14th in 01, 8th in 02, 5th in 2004 and 2005, and 8th in 2006. Anytime you can get top 10 or top 5 at Mr. Olympia, we're talking about you're one of the five biggest and best bodybuilders in the world. So that is incredible. He retired from bodybuilding in 2009 and definitely established himself as one of the top German bodybuilders of his era and and really all time unless I mean I don't know if you consider Arnold a German bodybuilder I think he was from Austria I'm not sure if that's considered German is it
1: Germanic yeah I mean Austria and Germany were together at one point during the war but Germanic the the Aryan aspect for sure and it, it doesn't matter I think people argue politics but they would have both been very very popular bodybuilders in Germany in that case of Arnold and definitely marcus would have been incredibly popular in austria that's, it goes without saying the politics, bodybuilders aren't really that political when it comes to a fantastic physique what they like is what they like and he would have been popular in either country yeah
0: so at the end of the day guys you know that's his story um, when it comes to competition so we're going to talk about his steroid use in a little bit but first let's get into his training and nutrition do you want to follow up on anything uh, on that Monster?
1: I've, I've, as in the pre show, Steve and I said, this never makes things interesting, right? Marcus has deliberately gone out of his way. And it was Steve that drew my attention to this in our pre show notes. He got out of his way to kind of, as we say in this country, to stir the shit, right? By by doing, uh, he's got a t shirt that says not vegan. And he's made a few comments on Instagram and I think some of his really, really old YouTube videos. uh, and, And it's kind of like one of those things that draws attention. But at the same time, I said to Steve, there's a joke about vegans and, and vegetarians and whatever else right? And he goes how do you know if someone's a vegan give them five minutes they'll fucking tell you and it kind of becomes annoying there was also of course vegan gains as a popular fellow on you on youtube so maybe marcus thought let's have some fun let's put the cat amongst the pigeons i'm a bodybuilder i'm still a bodybuilder i eat meat like it or don't like it fuck you kind of thing so i i kind of thought that was fun and um What was interesting, I've got a a, a very old VHS cassette that I mentioned to Steve Snee in his pre-show, which is I think Marcus Rule Triple XL upstairs. I believe it includes the montage that we've seen on a few YouTube videos where Marcus goes to the supermarket in a tank, in a kind of cut-off vest, and essentially he's pushing his trolley around. And we've seen a bunch of bodybuilders do this where they go to the supermarket and they're putting like you know three dozen eggs into a trolley and pounds and pounds of meat. Marcus is doing exactly the same thing, except he's wearing his cut-off top. He's a freak. He's at least three hundred pounds. He's he's kind of got the Germanic white thing going on. There's not a lot of tan in, in the off-season here, and I believe he was with his girlfriend at the time. He was a a very high-ranking, uh, a heavy-looking, muscular bodybuilder. So basically, you've got these two freaks that look like they've come from planet out of space somewhere landed in a supermarket car park and they've gone for a walk and you know that marcus is doing this right so i think marcus is definitely someone who Listen, i look like what i look like i'm not going to cover up if if it's a question of you know getting attention again by the whole vegan thing then he's definitely gone there and say fuck you here i am i eat me i'm a bodybuilder you don't have to like it none of this insecurity stuff none of this uh, you know, you, in the video, you can see people staring. Literally, I mean, the, the, a little clip I saw a couple of days ago, there's women woman like, you could see that she's like, what the hell is this? You know, he's German, he's the same country, same whatever she is, but like, who is this person? What the fuck am I looking at? And that was kind of the thing with, with, with bodybuilders, with this, with, with, he was never gonna be Mr. Olympia, but he was a freak. And even if he didn't win, he'd get his surname rule shouted out by the crowds and whatever else. So it's an attention-grabbing thing. This day, with social media as it is now, and if Marcus was still competing, his social media would be absolutely crazy. Even without it, and even though he's been retired for some years, he's got 400,000 followers. So, yeah, guys, check out the little video that I'm on about. See what you think. Steve, what about his actual diet back in the day? Let's talk about that.
0: So at his peak, he was bringing in 8,000 calories or more of food a day. And yes, he does seem to like meat a lot. Um, you know, and the thing is with, with bodybuilding, you know, here's the thing with human beings. We can survive on fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and those sort of things. No problem. So you know it's absolutely wrong for him to you know think oh yeah if you don't eat meat you're less of a man or something like that that's that's just silly um, in fact even if you're at that level you should do one week two week fast or you could fast with fruits or fast with fruits and vegetables this way you're getting a lot of fiber in your diet and you're kind of cleansing yourself out so you know, so that's the reality. But like Mobster said, it's marketing. He's trying to push yeah. himself as like, oh, I'm this big, tough guy who eats meat. Yeah, care. He, gets a lot of, he gets a lot of followers on set, yeah. on that. But if you know about science, you know about nutrition, you know that's just bullshit. So there are four things before I bring you in, Mobster. Let me just say these four yeah. things that he does believe in. Seriously. And, you know, this is a serious belief. Number one, he believes you should, if you eat like crap, you're wasting your time training. Number two, he says you must eat a lot of food to get huge, but it must be good food. And number three, he doesn't believe in counting macros or calories. And the fourth one, he he rarely eats junk food as a treat. So for those four things, hundred percent he he's correct on. Hundred percent he's correct on. So he does understand nutrition, but when it comes to social media and marketing, this is why I hate social media because it makes people out to be assholes. It makes people out yeah. to be they have to be assholes. They have to be on the fringe. That's what people yeah. want to see. You people get attention don't want a nice guy. Yeah. You do not get attention if you're normal. It's yeah. not gonna happen. And we we're gonna actually do John Meadows down the line, who passed away recently. And he actually was neutral. And he was one of the few guys who are able to actually build a social media following from being normal, not putting other people down. So that that's kind of the it is possible, but it's much harder. So the basic foods, Momster, before he bring you in that he liked chicken, beef, potatoes which is big in Germany, other vegetables, fish, and rice. So those are the staple bodybuilding foods that he messed with. I didn't see any fruit or many vegetables no. in his diet. So that's, that. that's interesting. That's one of the weird things. But it must be a German thing. Uh, but Americans don't eat fruits and vegetables either. So it's not just let's him. Start, so, I was going to touch on this. What we see on the forums a lot.
1: First off, let's back up what Steve just said, right? We are human beings are omnivores. We, the reason why we have 7,000 billion people on this planet is because we can pretty much eat anything, hot, spicy. I mean, I can't, but most people can. Uh, we, we can eat v- root vegetables. We can eat plants that grow above the ground. We can eat berries off the tree. We're pretty good with meat. But, as Steve says, this is a matter of adaptability, and we've been able to adapt to all those different environments with all those different kinds of foods, incredibly fatty food. For example, if you're an Eskimo living up in the, in the Arctic Circle or any of the other uh, groups that live in the Arctic Circle over in Russia in Canada and whatever, you've got all of those real, real, real fatty foods, fatty fish, fatty seal meat, the whole whale meat, the whole thing. And they, they people go, oh, their, their nutrition must be absolutely awful. And when they check them out, they've adapted. Human beings adapt. We've got uh, Zulus back in the day, traditionally eating cow meat, and one of their drinks was milk mixed with blood. You know, so you go, how, how the hell? But these guys were incredibly healthy, running across the plains in Africa and all this kind of stuff. So human beings are incredibly adaptable. However, what do we see on the forums a million times, Steve, is comments about vegetables and fruits, right? They're either asking for the best fruit, where they're probably not eating any bloody fruit at all. Guys, eat the friggin' veggies. Steve's mentioned this in podcasts before, eat colourful veggies, don't give me this, I can't eat vegetables, you're not allergic, you just don't like stuff, and you don't like it because it hasn't got sugar on it, or it's not spicy, or it doesn't taste sweet, that's just bullshit, eat, it might be fun to post this kind of stuff on social media and stir things up, but the reality is that a lot of, especially you younger guys, listen and pay attention, it's like, this is the sort of stuff your mum does, when your kids eat your vegetables and you can have some pudding it's that kind of thing right when you grow up you don't have to eat your vegetables you can just have goddamn pudding because you're paying for it what happens western world hardened arteries terrible cholesterol levels obesity going through the roof because you're eating what you want not what you should and what you should have is a really nice varied diet try it. diets like steve's mentioned before on podcasts and in articles eat the mediterranean diet Go and look at the Japanese diet where you've got those guys on an island at 100 plus. Go and look at all the people. Look at longevity. Go and look at all the people in the world that are over 100. Every single country, France, Germany, England, whatever. Nearly all the Western developed countries and other places have got people that are over 100. What are they doing? They're eating small amounts of food. They're eating healthy food. They eat seasonal food. You've got no excuse. Marcus oh. is having fun. But he's... Yeah.
0: Realize I, I would, I would argue, eat. but I would argue the guy, the people who live to 100, 95% of their diet is fruits and vegetables. 5% yes. is a little bit of dairy and a little bit of meat, but it's all natural. And some yeah. of them don't even eat any any meats or dairy. So he's, you know, and so he's a bodybuilder. He's a body. He's a body yeah. He doesn't yeah. care about his 8, calories. Yeah. He's families. not going to live to 100. He'll be lucky to live to. to <laughs> 70. Yeah. If he lives to 70, yeah, yeah. I will give you my left nut roasted yeah. as what a treat. I said before, If he man, lives to 70, it's not going to happen.
1: I said, I said, I know history. I just showed Stephen a pre show. I got some encyclopedias, physical cultural encyclopedias, just come from 1926. And one of the things I said for the history before was, there are no 315 pound muscular 100 year olds. They're just not. Nearly all of these 100 year old, 110, 115 year old people are tiny. They eat. Not that much at all. They're not shoveling coke, donuts down there. For, they're not
0: having eight thousand calories a day. They're not three hundred and fifteen pounds. The ironic so- thing, Mobster, is his age is the same as John Meadows. He was born also in nineteen seventy-two. So as of as of this podcast, he's forty-nine. John Meadows just passed away a week ago mm-hmm. at forty-nine. Yeah. So his clock is ticking. Tick, 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 tick. And if you, John Meadows wasn't 300 pounds, John Meadows yeah. wasn't 300 pounds easier. John Meadows at his peak was like 230, 235. So, you know, you know, that's it, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. Let's
1: so, talk about the training. Let's talk it about, is training.
0: Training. Yeah, about his training. Yeah. Tell us about his training because it's it's crazy. Yeah. Right. So I, I've got the
1: Marcus Rule Triple XL video. There will, of course, be samples of this stuff on YouTube now, guys. I'll I'll preface this with two things, right? One is, what he used to do, and one is what he does now. I watched a video, again, pre-show research, just the other day, he's still a big muscular guy. I'm gonna guess probably somewhere around 250 pounds. And at five foot 10, he's still got that freaky peak to his biceps, which we might get into when we come to the steroids and PEDs. He's still kind of broad-shouldered looking. So, I mean, I'm reminded very quickly, Steve, he, in his younger pictures, pre-professional bodybuilder, He looked like Jay Cutler did when he was younger. So that big, heavyweight frame, young, muscular look, was there from the get-go. So this guy's always going to be bigger, muscular. He was probably bigger, muscular as a football player. In training, in the stuff when he was doing the competitions, 700-kilo leg presses. I've done that, but we're not talking about the kind of bodybuilding training with the multiple exercises and multiple sets that Marcus was doing. So he was big and strong. I was doing some weird version of the seated press, and I've seen some, funny enough, a lot of very, very bored, very, very big bodybuilders, uh, not necessarily professionals, that I've seen uh, with very wide shoulders do a variation on a Smith machine that, uh, uh, press that I've seen with a weird angle, similar to mine, in fact, in that particular regards, but nearly always on a Smith machine, nearly always three, four plates or something similar. The way Marcus had it, up was lots of 10s and 15s, probably doing strip sets. One of the notes that we made for the pre-show was he was a big fan, of, funny enough, of drop sets. Right, drop sets guys quick quick education for you drop sets, is essentially let's take a weight you warm up you do your warm-up sets you get up to your working weight let's say that the working weight is for argument's sake 200 pounds on a press on a, on a seated press for your shoulders a drop set would be take 20 30 pounds off so now you're down to 170 and immediately you go again as long as it takes your training buddy your partner's whatever to strip the weight off that's when you go so that might be five seconds and you go straight away and you try to get as many reps as you can with a 170 immediately you strip some weights off again. Let's take it down and say 140, and you go again. That would be a triple, because that's triple. You can go four, you can go five uh, drops. Uh, you can end up, I'm reminded of Paul Borison, bench pressing the bar. And Paul used to tell this story of starting off with three plates, working his way down to 20, 30 reps with the bar, and he'd be absolutely in pain. Pump would be god awful. He'd be kind of set, try not to scream. And at that point, a pretty girl would come into the gym, and go, I told you those bodybuilders weren't strong, because here he is. Vascular as hell, pumped as hell, kind of not trying, trying not to cry and trying not to make these god awful noises. And he's doing it with a barbell. And of course, that's when the pretty girl walks past and sees you. So it's that kind of situation. But yeah, there's a big fan of drop sets. It, and uh, Steve will understand this, of course. It's essentially to absolutely fatigue the muscle, but as much as anything else, to pump, 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 to fill that muscle with as much blood as possible. The combination of muscle fiber breakdown and and, and filling the muscle with water, filling the muscle with blood, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, trying to get that huge, huge, huge size. And of course, this is why Marcus looked the way that he did. I might, and we'll touch on this with the PDs, I, I think Marcus might have sight-injected because it was around that time, and his, his shoulders and, and his bicep, and perhaps quite a lot of his muscles, really, because he was a freak, kind of looked a bit suspicious, Steve, so we'll get on that in, in, a, in a little bit as well. You're also looking, funny enough, not really a cheater, not really someone that's throwing the weights around on any of the exercises. I can't think of him doing that. I can't think of him doing that on, on the videos I watched recently as, as the age it is now, as Steve said, at 49. He's got an older looking face, but a still big muscular body. He's doing some small variations on some of the lifts and movements to get something out of the, of the lift. But nothing, he's not throwing the weights around, he's not doing any cheating movements. And this is something that Steve and I have talked about. As a bodybuilder, cheating should be saved like the drop sets for the very end of your workout, for the very end of a body part and whatever else. Keep the tension on the muscle. And this is something that Marcus was able to do. And again, that's gotta add to the reason why he was a freak. Combination of genetics, a combination of PEDs, the combination of all that food that we talked about, and ability to know how to train his muscle. With some bodybuilders, he's a great coach. With some bodybuilders, I suspect Marcus might be one of those. It's kind of one of those innate things where they get the feeling in the muscle like we all look for. They know how to position their bodies to keep that pain there, to keep that tension there. And combination of everything combined ends up producing the freak that we got to see on the stage. Marcus, um, I'm just thinking of his most muscular There there's There's photographs where he looks like a huge, great block of meat above the, the waist and the way he was able to position himself and display himself. Something else as well, Steve, you, you might remember from any of the stuff you see, he did look like he was enjoying himself on stage. So I suspect he enjoyed the heavy training, but I think he enjoyed being on stage and having fun with the crowd and showing them this freaking So I can't think of a single photograph of him on stage where he's not got some great big toothy grin of his uh, looking muscular and, and doing crazy stuff. And yet at the same time, even when you're flexing every muscle, look looks like he's enjoying himself
0: and having fun with it. All right, buddy. So let's get into a little bit. Um, when you have that big of a social media following. We talked about his Instagram already, but also he's got lots of YouTube videos. He promotes supplements and clothing. So once you have a big following, he's got almost a million subs and followers throughout mm-hmm. his platforms. You can sell a T-shirt. You can tell us T-shirts. You can sell anything you want to people. People are going to buy your stuff. So, you know, he makes a, I'm assuming he makes a pretty good living. Uh, doing that, especially for someone in Germany. Um, At the end of the day, one of the things that I've noticed about him, I like his injury story. Um, You know, in life, um, things are going to happen. Things are going to happen to you. It happened to me um, in my life as well. I was an endurance athlete. I was competing. I would travel and compete in different competitions. And then just the injuries got me. The injuries got me. And I had to get away from that. And I ended up going Back to my bread and butter, which was powerlifting. And then I did powerlifting for a while, and then boom, the injuries hit me. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Then I had to go back to just being a gym rat and being a normal gym rat. I couldn't compete anymore. So it's okay, guys. You're, you're, you know, a lot of us were, you know, type A personalities. We want to do everything 100% and kill it. And, but at the end of the day, your body is going to punish you if you. Do that, So you're going to have to go a different direction. So you can either do things smartly and do things within reason, or you can just roll the dice and hope you don't get injured. I don't know. But at the end of the day, it's okay. It's okay to say, you know what, this isn't working. Let me switch to something else. And, and There's no, there's no reason that you have to just stay at the same career your whole life or do the same type of training your whole life. There's going to be incidences where things are going to change. So in his example, he definitely, he definitely did that. And he wanted to be a soccer player and he got injured and he found something else. It was a blessing in disguise. Divorces, how many people get divorced and then they end up marrying again, in the person they marry again is the love of their life. Well, if you wouldn't have got divorced, you would have never met that person. So sometimes a really bad situations in your life, injuries, financial issues, job issues, whatever it happens to be, you know, it's okay. You can bounce back. Uh, I was, I've been in the dumps myself when it comes to all kinds of things. And You know, I always come back and things are really well for me now, but things can change. I can, I could, things can turn around for me as well, but you just have to keep coming back. That's how humans have managed to survive for 2 million years because of that. You want to do that, a word on that mobster? I'm curious to hear your opinion on that. And then we'll get into a steroid use because that's what the fun part. Two things, two
1: things again, Steve, I've mentioned on a previous podcast, my 2016 back injury, basically wear and tear and strain guys to the point where it was eight weeks uh, going to sleep on the floor, pretty much 16, 17 hours a day, having to crawl around and do crazy stuff around the house. So All the usual stuff was taking me like five times as long because of the pain and discomfort. Uh, I had to do another eight weeks of 16-hour days on my bed, which sounds great to begin with, but really, really wasn't. Uh, doing a bunch of physio every single night, 15, 20 minutes before I would go to sleep. Again, this is doing 17 hours laying on the floor. Let's do another half hour, 15, 20 minutes, whatever, of physio exercises. God-awful, but coming back from that, uh, there's, a, there's a two-fold thing here. One, as Steve said, the driver, getting injured, training, becoming a bodybuilder. There's another aspect, which, of course, and I believe this also applies to Marcus, uh, Steve, where he had a chest injury probably towards the end of his uh, professional career. And th- that probably was so bad because I don't think there's any photographs with his tops off or videos with his tops off since uh, to show you that pec injury. Uh, so it was one of those maybe career-ending things. He was probably not going to win the mystery Olympia, like I said. What well, it's also, and you touched on this already, but we see this sometimes on the forums, and this is one of those words of advice times are going guys. I love to, uh, I do sound like sometimes like a preacher up on the on the pulpit, giving you guys these messages, but it's true. First, sometimes people will get minor injuries, minor issues in life, stresses, divorces, like Steve mentioned earlier on, and and training goes out the window. Steve and I. Are not like that. I, I think no matter when we've had injuries, when we've had stress, when we've had aggravation, training's been a consistent thing for us. Even when we've had injuries, I, even when I was lying on the floor 16, 17 hours a day on the bed, 16, 17 hours a day, I was squeezing the grip out. It was the only exercise I could do and it was a thing that kept me sane. So for me, I can't imagine the idea that I'm supposed to stop training. Why? My legs haven't fallen off, let's carry on lifting. It gives me a focus and Guys, this is we, we, this is hardcore podcast. We're going to talk about lifting. But if you play golf, if you play soccer, if you play some other sport, sometimes training, being healthy, keeps you sane. It's the anchor in your life. When you're, when you're going through a divorce, when you're moving house, when you've got a death in the family, your one escape, your one consistent quiet time, your mindfulness, whatever you want to call it, uh, is, is in the gym. You go to the gym and you're not talking shit. You go to the gym and you're not thinking about your bills and whatever else. So for us, it's hard to imagine that you of fallen off a skyscraper and then I can't think of a situation that will stop me exercising in some way. It's And you guys are listening to this because that's what you do. What we sometimes see on the forum, and this is that preaching part, is guys where they have to stop a cycle because they're going on holiday or, or they have to stop a cycle because they had some small accident. Or what they, they, or, or we also see sometimes the guys doing something that's given them an injury, giving them a problem, and they won't stop the stupid thing, which we kind of get, we kind of understand. That's giving them aggravation. And of course, what we really need to do is stop doing a stupid thing. I've done this with certain exercises where I've been pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, taking it in the direction it shouldn't go with really bad form or whatever else. Get injured, who, who was to blame? I shouldn't have been using shitty form. But I don't stop, I change. I'll take a step back, I'll do all the things that's necessary to rehab, the rest, the recuperation, to get back on that horse, to get back in the gym so I can carry on lifting things, because it keeps me sane, I'm sure it keeps Steve sane, whether we're bodybuilding, whether we're doing yoga, whether we're doing powerlifting, the challenge for us, the iron in our blood is kind of what gets us through the day, when, if things are crap, if things are horrible, if we're all dealing with the COVID bullshit still, and it's not, hopefully not for much longer, then Training, press ups, chin ups, running, going out for walks in the rain—all that kind of. Stuff. Whatever you can do, guys. So that sometimes there seems to be a little bit of a, a, an excuse, and an injury is a big excuse. But sometimes I see small excuses. I don't get it. What? What? what don't come on the forum and 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 moan about how you can't do something. You really, you are only coming on the forum kind of to say because you want someone like me or Steve to go, well, oh, you fucking can." You can do press if you're in a hotel you're traveling you can do press ups down the side of your hotel bed most hotels have got a friggin' gym in it might not be hardcore it might not be metroflex but it's still a gym you can still get a workout you can put your coat on you can take an umbrella you can go for a good trail walk you can go for a walk for the town where you're where you're staying you there's, there's it's, you don't need don't come to us with excuses because I don't get it. it this guy injured trains become a professional body Terrible, terrible chest injury. Still training, still in the gym, still slamming the weights. <sighs> no, guys, get it done. No, no, I, we will help you. We will advise you. If you have to stop the cycle, we'll give you the advice. We'll talk about PCT. There are a million times afterwards you can do another cycle. There's a million times afterwards. So get, get, just do something to keep yourself sane. If it's a divorce, if it's a stressful thing, if you're doing legal cases, all the crap in life that really pisses you off and stress can seriously kick your ass sometimes, go to the gym, smash the granny out of the weights, get that stress out and have some quiet time. Even if it's stressed underneath the barbell, you're not thinking about the other crap that's going on in your life. So it's one of those things that can keep you sane. It's one of those things that can give you some sort of space between what's going on. And in fact, sometimes having that space, even if it's squatting in the gym for an hour and coming out, sometimes the world can make sense afterwards because you've just stopped thinking about this thing and driving yourself crazy. Let's talk about the story. Steve. So I've done enough of the preaching enough of the, the message. I want you all to lift weights forever. Let's get into his steroid cycle.
0: So is there any doubt that he used steroids? I don't think there's anyone <laughs> who <Satan laughs> no. would, uh, would think there no. wasn't when you're that big, you know, um, big as in muscular. I don't mean big yeah. as an obese. I mean, big as in muscular. He's got a lot of muscle mass on his frame. It would be impossible to have that much muscle mass without the help of performance enhancing drugs. So he was extremely genetically blessed. And during his time, there was a huge growth in steroid use when it came to professional bodybuilding. We would see You know, I would I would guesstimate that guys were tripling and quadrupling their dosages decade over decade. So from the 80s into the 90s, into the 2000s, into the 2010s, we're talking about doubling, tripling, quadrupling. And I think now things have kind of went back down. But I think in this era, when he was at his peak, it was chemical warfare. You're trying to win Mr. Olympia. He's 12th place, 11th place, then he jumps, you know, the sixth place, fifth place. He's trying to get to first place. And it's going to come down to obviously genetics, training, diet, all that good stuff. But it's also going to come down to can you out steroid the other person? Can you run the perfect stack to beat the other person? So we could speculate on what he runs testosterone probably over a gram a week of testosterone. And of course he would cut it off ahead of his competition. The other one, Trenbolone, this is when Trenbolone became mandatory. We would see guys running Primo and EQ and Deca. And then Trenbolone came around and it blows all three of those away. So why would you run those when you can run trend and get superior results? Trend is the absolute beast. It's the king of all steroids. It's the T-Rex of steroids. You don't mess with the T-Rex. You don't pet the T-Rex. Same thing with Tremolo. You don't pet the Trembolo. You better respect Trembolo for sure. And trust me, he was all over Trembolone. No doubt. Another one, he'd be all over Winstrol, 150 milligrams a day. Winstrol's is a dryer, dries you out. So it's absolutely mandatory to use Winstrol. Especially as it you get closer to the contest, and then Prima to harden you up. So I think that that was one of the big ones. And um, in the article, um, which you know that I wrote on, I don't know if you guys can can read it, but um, I actually made uh, I've edited it because originally I put 100 milligrams a day of Prima Bolin, but that's actually should be 100 milligrams a day of Anadrol, and that's um, that was. As we get into the orals, I'll let Mobster finish out some of the other things he could have ran. But Anadrol, um, there is an oral primabolin but trust me, they didn't mess with the oral Primobolan. They mess with the Anadrol. Anadrol is a bombs, and it's called a bombs for a reason. The stuff is incredible. If you wanna,
1: mm-hmm.
0: if you wanna change your physique in four weeks time, Mobster, yeah. you could run fifty milligrams of Anadrol by itself, train mm-hmm. your balls off. Eat really well, and you could transform your physique in just four weeks. Now, there is an element of side effects because anadrol has a shitload of side effects. You've got the sure. liver issues. You've got the other organ issues. You've got the binding to estrogen receptors, even though it doesn't aromatize. It's extremely androgenic. I mean, the stuff is extremely high with side effects. So if you're prone to side effects, you will get yourself into trouble on anadrol. But this is what these guys ran, guys. They ran a lot of steroids. What else do you think he ran, Mobster, in a stack? I, I, I'm just
1: reminded on the Anadrol uh, or, or NAPs, as we've called NAP 50s, which we've called them in this country for some years. Very quick story for you. I've been, uh, I believe I was 280 pounds at the time, a young lad asking me, can I, can I ask you a question? I said, yes. He says, uh, what do you know about NAP 50s? And I said, can I ask how long you've been training? You've been training six weeks, Steve. Now, of course, I, there's no way on earth I would give a newbie Anadrol and Anadrol is one of those drugs where some people have the response but they would add typically it's mostly water of course 20 pounds on on Anadrol, but you would have to have marcus wool's genetics but that would be 10 pounds 12 pounds of muscle most of you guys it would be the same three or four pounds of muscle you were going to gain on a more sensible cycle and 10 12 14 pounds of water what else Masteron, of course and the suggestion here is quite a high amount. But then I'm just thinking, if you think of it as a hardening drug, which it kind of is, I don't recall really any watery looking photographs or videos of Marcus on stage. He's, his main reason for not winning is he didn't have that aesthetic Olympia shape. He was a freak, but he was a hard looking muscular freak. So master on a high dosage for sure. Now we could argue about the dosage, but again, I'm, I'm thinking, the a suggestion of 1,500 milligrams, probably pre-competition. So if he carries any water, or he's dripping, that water's gone and he comes in dry, he comes in gnarly, he comes in muscular. And it, it, he had, for example, pre, pre-injury, I believe he had a split in the chest and you could definitely see separation between the muscles. The, the, the higher end, I mean, good a good dose for this would be 50 milligrams for guys. And it's pretty much what I would run if it's real deal and, and it works for me. 50 milligrams a day of Vannevar is more than enough for me and it does the trick really well. I don't put on loads of muscle. I like it for strength. And as somebody said, Marcus was a strength, a strong bodybuilder when it came to gym training, even with his uh, predisposition for mostly using machines. But he's a professional bodybuilder. He needs to look a certain way. He needs to be freakish on stage. So we're talking about, as suggested here, 120 milligrams a day. Now, the last three drugs, especially came to the fore, as Steve said, around the time that Marcus was competing, that would be HGH. And the suggestion is actually kind of low. Uh, and I say low only in terms of what, you know, modern bodybuilders now are doing. But with Marcus, we could uh, say we think uh, 25 IUs, that could be split up through the day, 15 IUs of insulin and DMP. Now, DNP we haven't talked about a lot in podcasts for very good reason, because it, a lot of the bodybuilders that we were talking about, we don't think used it, although they might have done towards the end of the career. It depends, guys. If you listen to the podcast and you read the, the articles that are attached to most of the podcast, you will see a time scale. And if you look at the time scale, DNP comes towards, again, the end of Marcus's uh, competing career. But something else that Marcus himself addressed in an interview, uh, he, he had the pain in the ass interview where the fella's asking him about steroids. And of course, he's under contract with WIDA. He's under contract with his sponsor company. Uh, it's not good for him to be seen on the German news by a TV reporter talking about steroids, regardless of the fact, of course, PEDs, et cetera, are out there. And it's part of what he was doing. Something else, Steve, which is not addressed, and I want to go back to the DNP in a second. My gut feeling, whether it was with some sort of anabolic steroid or whether it was with uh, a site injectional was that Marcus may well have sight-injected. He still got that freaky physique from a young man. He's still got the freaky physique from his training in genetics, but to say that his shoulders look suspicious and that he had a real, real weird looking peak to his biceps would not be an exaggeration. So there may well have been a thing where with the, especially with the amount of stories that we're talking about here, just the 1,200 milligrams a week of testosterone that Steve talks about, putting a couple of mil into your shoulders, a couple of mil, a mil into your biceps, et cetera. I wouldn't put it past him. I want to talk about the DMP, and I think that Steve could touch on this as well. Right. How many times, Steve, do we see this come up on the forums? We, it's one drug. You, you can have your free CC, Boston Lloyd, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's the one drug, drug that even the outrageous guys will say to you is dangerous. Insulin, you can kind of fuck up, but only if you're completely not moral and don't do the right things, and only if you're doing silly amounts and you've not got your ass covered, DMP is right up there. And it's one of those drugs where, especially if it's the real deal, you will see stories in the media of some DMP powder, whatever, comes over from China and some young lady or young man who's not lifting and is not informed by people like ourselves on these kind of podcasts, hasn't done the research, will read let's say, for argument's sake, that a specific dose is great for fat burning. And so because The logic goes, well, if that dose is great for fat burning, two times as much would be amazing. And then they die. Right. You get stuff. I know from reading interviews with guys and people that are properly informed nine times out of ten with DNP. And I wouldn't put it past Marcus to have used this to bring in that bit of condition. But again, he probably had someone advising him, so he'd probably been sensible. And again, it was a big drug for the bodybuilders at that time to play around with. Not so much now, I believe. in my opinion, for professional bodybuilders. What we see is guys that are a bit out of shape, want to lose a certain amount of fat, come back after the DNP cycle and get every single pound of fat back that they had to begin with. It just comes back almost sometimes worse. Then you've got the whole thing where, it's one of those drugs, I think, where it kind of builds up in the system. So I I wasn't that hot, I wasn't that sweaty, so I decided to have another 100 milligrams or another 200 milligrams or whatever. And the next thing you know, you've got someone who's incredibly hot, incredibly sweaty, drinking ice, water, sitting on a sofa, surrounded by towels, laying in bed, absolutely sweating like a pig or whatever else. When you look into the actual whole, what the NP does, and how people uh, used to die from it way back in the day before it was discovered as a bodybuilding drug, it cooks you. It uncouples a fat mechanism. The whole, the risk factor, the way that you're going to struggle with it, the way that you're going to feel on it, and how you're going to look when you come off it, no matter, if, if, it was, if, if I was Marcus, this is, I would have literally, and I, I decided, I was foolish enough to say, right, i use DMP, I would literally just use it In the last couple of weeks, I'd have to be real, real careful not to get sick on it because you can't tell me that you're not doing all these kind of things, getting all these kind of side effects and then not risking some sort of infection in terms of your immune system suppression and whatever else. Training really hard is going to be hard on your immune, eating the stuff that you're doing, putting yourself into a place uh, physically, chemically, et cetera, and then throwing DMP in there. You're going to have to be real careful that you don't catch an infection, not necessarily from the DMP, but just from your suppressed immune system, just from so the fact you're sweating. It's kind of like feeling like you've got the world's worst flu and you're giving yourself the drug and make yourself feel like that. So there's a bunch of stuff there with regards to, uh, we could talk about risk factors of things, all of the oil orals, the high levels of testosterone, the high levels of training, etc, etc, etc. But DMP is like essentially a poison and you're giving it to yourself. To look a certain way to be a certain way on stage and so ultimately in the case of marcus to be a freak amongst freaks on an olympia stage that's fine you guys and i'm talking about the 99 percent of our listeners that want to get in shape want to be muscular want to sit back want to wow the girls on the beach you don't need this you just don't and and you really 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 need to be a hundred percent i don't mean asking on a forum i mean multiple research points, multiple articles, really, really on point with this stuff. And even then, my I mean, you see this, we've got moderators and we've got guys on our forums that will say, you know, up the dose, that they'll tell you to do a thousand milligrams or something like that. And it's great for the website it's great for the forums. But I would say that probably all of our moderators, any of the hardcore guys on most of the forums, I mean in all the evolutionary elite and anabolics, you will not see someone picking up DMP. It's the one thing that we will say, avoid, avoid, avoid. What do you think, Steve?
0: So yeah, with DMP, guys, sorry about that. We had some technical difficulties. So when DMP, what happens is your body is rebelling against it. Yeah. So when you take it, you notice the people who've had success about it and rave about it, they have to keep taking it over and over and over again. Yeah. So it kind of messes with your metabolism, messes with, with things in your body it's kind of like crashing your calories. It does the same thing. Cause you think when you crash your calories, yeah, I'm going to lose weight, which you will initially, but over time you won't lose weight because your body will burn less calories. Yeah. So it's the same thing with DMP. So what happens is people come off the DMP and they literally gain everything back plus more yeah. weight. Yeah. Yeah. Because now yeah. you, your body has to kind of recover from this that slow of metabolism that happened, that thyroid effect that it has on your body. So it's kind of like it put DMP in your body are under a fight when you're on DMP. So it's not a permanent solution. So you might as well just get your diet in, in place. But these bodybuilders, you know, they're not worried about that. They're not worried about 10 years from now, a year from now, one month from now. They're worried about competition. So they'll run DMP out of a competition, especially in these days. They'll run DMP to burn the fat and then they'll flush the water out using diuretics ahead of the competition, they'll feel like crap. They'll be miserable, but that's what you got to do when you're a pro, pro bodybuilder. So, yeah, it's, it's a tremendous amount of, of abuse on, on their body. And these, these are the type of cycles these guys are running. And I think that people over the past 5, 10 years, I think bodybuilding, we've kind of backed off on these types of stacks. So finish us off, Mobster, with your final thoughts. Marcus Rule, episode 155, and take us into the disclaimer. I'll do a very quick one on,
1: on, on, on the DNP aspect, for example, right, guys? So if, let's say that you're obese and you decide that you're going to have liposuction. Okay, so what we would say, of course, is fix your damn diet, do more cardio, get into shape healthy. People forget that liposuction is essentially a medical procedure, and a medical procedure will involve at some point you being covered in bandages around the area, potentially bleeding, having leakages, et cetera, and then recovering, essentially, let's not muck around, from an operation. It might not be something like a heart operation or brain operation, but it's an operation just the same. Like, it's, a DMP is kind of like that. It's like, well, I can get into shape. I can look good for the beach. But you've got to recover from this stuff and you're going to end up looking, as we said, worse, worse afterwards. Marcus, that, I, I, my thoughts on Marcus was, I, I'm old enough again and ugly enough, right? So. There are certain bodybuilders, Tom Platts is up there with his legs, uh, maybe Paul De Mayo with his quads, with a certain name, and it wouldn't matter how they came in looking so long as they had those damn fires of theirs, Burtle Fox, the murderer Bertle Fox, would come on stage as a muscular bodybuilder and people would say, especially in the UK, beef, beef, beef. Marcus was one of those guys. I don't think he would ever have the aesthetics or the shape of an Olympia. But when he came on shape, especially when he was on his own, never mind if he was in a hose down or a lineup or whatever else, people would scream, woo, woo. the Germans in the crowd, the, 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 the Dutch, Dutch Americans in the crowd, just the freak lovers, would, they wanted him to look the way that he looked. So that made him a very popular bodybuilder. He exposed very popular bodybuilder on stage. Like I said, he was having a great time. And as he still trains, he still looks much now. So I think he enjoyed being a freak. The crowd enjoyed him being a freak. It was just never, ever, ever going to have that Mr. Olympia. You need a smaller waist. You need to have something about you that looks like the edge of where a human can go to rather than something that's landed from another planet. So that aspect. And as Steve said, he's a bodybuilder of his time. This is, as Steve said properly, chemicals went kind of crazy. And I think, uh, with, which Steve Smith has already covered, some ways we're backing off the DMP is not something that you see even with the guys that are doing five grams a week dnp doesn't get mentioned it just doesn't the guys realize and a new that was something else that came around in between that time it got it came people tried it they realized it was a narcotic we've got other guys out there talking about this stuff that came it went it realized it wasn't great for bodybuilding they wanted to be big they wanted to be muscular they don't want it to be lean they don't want to be fucked they don't want to feel ill uh, and, and we know, how many, even this week, Steve, we've had a couple of three bodybuilders die in the last week, uh, one female before a big show somewhere in Europe, uh, another Iraqi-Iranian bodybuilder just passed away. Trust me, people, none of these people are old. They're pushing the envelope. The guys that are sensible, the guys that want 10, 15-year careers, the guys that like Marcus that enjoyed being on stage, back off and realise that this other stuff can be crazy. So that's why DMP, and like I said, you will not see us pushing DMP on the forums. You will not say we would probably have to have a word if one of the guys that was posting regularly said, I think DMP is great. look, mate, listen, we've got responsibility to our listeners, we've got a responsibility to the people on our forums. We don't push that kind of stupidity. It's great sometimes to be the out there pushing kind of guy, but ultimately we want our Members to come back again and again. We want them to be big, muscular, strong. We want them to be lean and in shape, and we want them to be like that for years. So we will not. We seem to be pushing the inquiry. Right as always, people. We're not doctors. We're not medical experts. These opinions are ours and ours alone. It's our view, and it's based on our years of experience and our views on the topic. A podcast for informational and entertainment purposes only. And as always, the freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies.